We can pray for those that said yay just now. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome to Mill City. Would you join me? Let's open our time in prayer together. Good Shepherd, we are just so grateful uh, to be gathered here as your people. And so, Jesus, would you open up our ears to hear what you want us to hear? And would you give us the courage and wisdom on how to apply this to better love those in our lives in your name? Jesus, we're grateful uh, that we are able to gather here. We love you. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so a couple years ago, I decided to start training for a marathon. Uh, shout out to those of you. Did anyone run the Twin Cities Marathon last week or any of the races there? Yeah, can we give them? Yeah, awesome. All right, now a big part of training for the marathon was trying to figure out how I could stay fueled. So the first few training runs were pretty easy. I was able to just take a bottle of water and it was able to sustain me um, as I ran uh, my training run. But as the training runs grew longer and longer, I started to see, oh, I need a source of food to propel me or keep me going. And so I stepped into a time of experimentation. Now, the first experiments were somewhat successful. I started using the electrolyte jelly beans or these energy blocks called Cliff Energy Blocks. You can see them on the screen. Now, there were some experiments that were failures, like when I decided to eat half a lasagna before my eight-mile run. <laughs> that is not what they were talking about when they said carbo-load before you run. So after a few weeks of training, I finally settled on the energy blocks. And what I'd do is I would eat one in the beginning of my run, and then I'd eat one after every four miles, and then I would reward myself with two energy blocks at the end of my race just to say, wait, you did it. These little energy blocks help propel me and keep me moving forward. Now in the Bible, following Jesus is often compared to running a race. And like I had to figure out a practice to keep me moving through my marathon, there are many practices that help us keep joining God at work in our lives. And one of these practices, the practice that we're focusing on this morning, is the practice of prayer. Now, prayer is the way that we praise God for who God is. Through prayer, we can petition God and ask, God, I need you to provide. Through prayer, we also posture ourselves to listen to what God is doing. Ask, God, what are you doing and how can I step towards that? We see that throughout the story of God in Scripture that when people are faced with big decisions or heading into new seasons, they turn to prayer. Yet as I was thinking about prayer, I realized that outside of maybe a Sunday morning, prayer seems to be the practice that I either forget about or is the last resort for me. I'll be halfway through thinking through a big decision and I'll have my plans all laid out and I'll realize, whoa God, I actually forgot to pray about this. I actually even just forgot to talk to you about what I was doing. Now, there are many reasons why we might not pray. Sometimes it's because we didn't think about it. We're busy people. We just didn't think that we needed to pray. Sometimes it feels like we prayed before and it didn't really matter, or we prayed and it wasn't answered the way we wanted it to be answered. Sometimes we don't pray because we don't totally trust God with what we're stepping towards. And sometimes prayer feels like a chore. Oh, I don't want to keep praying. Maybe you resonate with some of those reasons, or maybe you have something else that keeps you from praying. 
And all of these reasons make sense. Yet what we see through the story of God is that prayer is integral. It may sound cheesy, but prayer is like the little energy blocks as we run this race of faith. Prayer propels individuals and communities to join the work that God is doing in their lives and in the lives of those around them. So our passage this morning in Ephesians can be viewed as the hinge on which the whole book turns, and that hinge is prayer. Paul is about to head into some practical living. How does the church live out this identity that he's talked about in chapters 1 to 3? But before he heads into that practical living, he turns to prayer. Paul prays because he knows that the only way the church can live out this identity is through prayer. And he prays because he believes that he serves a God who hears and answers and will provide. And we believe in that same God this morning. And because we believe in that same God this morning, a God who hears and provides, I believe that the prayer that Paul prays for the church can be prayed over us as well. I believe that this prayer can propel us as we join God in his mission. Today, our big idea is a Jesus-centered church is propelled by prayer. Now, our passage today is in the book of Ephesians chapter 3. And because this was read aloud to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding regions, during the series, we've actually had people in our community read the text aloud. And this is just a way that we get to hear the voices of the church. And so this morning, would you join me? Let's welcome up Laura Rascorla. She's one of our teaching team, or our leadership team members. Uh, and she's going to lead us through the text this morning. Thanks. Good morning, church. This is Ephesians 3:14 through 21. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Laura. So this is Paul's prayer for the church. This is in the middle of Ephesians. And Paul starts by praying. He says, for this reason, I kneel. And when we see for this reason, we have to ask, well, what is the reason? Why is Paul kneeling? Now, the natural place would be to go back to chapter 3 and see, well, what does Paul say? But when we go back to chapter 3, verse 1, we see that Paul has actually already started this prayer, but then he gets sidetracked. It's almost like you're typing an email or you're about to send a text and then you get sidetracked and you didn't hit send on the text or the email. That's what Paul does. It's like he dialed up a prayer and then he gets sidetracked and he forgets, oh, I, I, sh I actually was praying. And so we have to go back even further in the book to understand, well, what is the reason that Paul is getting on his knees and praying? And when we go back to the end of chapter 2 into the beginning of chapter 3, we see what this reason is. Now, Pastor Steph talked about how last week, because of what Jesus has done, a Jesus-centered church is unified in our identity and empowered in our purpose. We are unified in our identity and empowered in our purpose. 
unified in our identity, we are no longer strangers, but we're citizens of God's kingdom. And we're empowered in our purpose to display God's restorative love to those around us. And this is no small thing. This has been God's plan from the beginning, and now the church is living in this reality. Now Paul is about to head into a bunch of ways the church can practically live this out. But it's almost like Paul gets so overwhelmed by this mission, so overwhelmed by this reason that he gets down on his knees and he prays. Now one of the things I love is he says, for this reason I kneel. And he doesn't just kneel in a prison cell. He doesn't just kneel on the cold hard floor, but he says, for this reason I kneel before the Father. Earlier in Ephesians, Paul talks about how we have been adopted into God's family. How because of what Jesus has done, we are now sons and daughters of the King. Because of what Jesus has done, we have been given his spirit. And that spirit enables us to speak freely and without fear to God. And that is what we get to do through prayer. We get to speak freely to God. And Paul models this for the church in Ephesus. Paul knows that no matter how much he loves the Ephesian church that God, their father, loves them more than Paul could even ask or imagine. And Paul kneels in the presence of the father, and he brings this prayer to God. Now, there are three things that Paul prays over the Ephesians as they are propelled to join God in this new identity and this purpose. And these are three things that I know that us as a staff and leadership team pray over you as a church. And so we're going to walk through this prayer, see what are the three things that Paul prays. But then we're actually going to take some time and engage these uh, prayers together. And so that being said, if you haven't yet, there are note cards out in the lobby there on the table. If you need a note card, there'll be a time. Just raise your hand and someone will come and bring you that note card. But we'll get to that in a little bit here. So let's walk through this prayer. What are the three things that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus? Well, first, Paul prays that they would be strengthened by God's Spirit. Be strengthened by God's Spirit. Verse 16 says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being. This is Paul's first blessing. I pray that you would be strengthened. Strengthened by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. The same Spirit that gives you wisdom. The same Spirit by which the Jews and the Gentiles were reconciled together. The Spirit through which they could experience God's peace and God's presence. I pray that you would be strengthened by this Spirit. And Paul continues, I pray that you would be strengthened by God's Spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, in those days, the heart represented the center of one's being, the place where attitudes and actions sprung forth. And so Christ's dwelling meant Christ taking up residence in the command center of their lives. Christ's dwelling meant Christ being their leader. And so I think when Paul says, I pray that you'd be strengthened by the Spirit, he doesn't say, not just may you be strengthened, but he prays, may you be strengthened by the Spirit to surrender your life to Christ. May you be strengthened by the Spirit to surrender your life to Jesus' leadership. Now, often in our culture, strength is seen by what we can hold on to. Strength is seen by us holding on to our desires, our expectations, our way of doing life. That is seen as strength. But in Jesus' upside-down kingdom, strength is not seen in what we can hold on to. But strength is shown by how we let go. 
It actually takes strength to let go, to allow Jesus to be our leader, to allow Jesus' words, his works, and his ways to shape our lives. Paul says, may you be strengthened by the Spirit to surrender your life to Christ. And together, Mill City, as a part of the body of Christ, a body that spans generations and millennia, that prayer is for us as well. Would we be strengthened by the Spirit to surrender our lives to Jesus' leadership? So as we receive this prayer from Paul, a question we need to ask ourselves is this. Is there an area in my life that I need to surrender to Jesus' leadership? Is there an area in my life where I need to surrender to Jesus' leadership? Paul's first prayer is be strengthened by the Spirit. And then Paul moves on to his second prayer over the church. His second prayer is found in verse 19, and his second prayer is this, would you be filled with God's love? Verse 19 says, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This is Paul's second blessing for the church. But how can they be filled? Well, the verses before help us understand how we can be filled by God's love. Verse 16 says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Paul points to a new reality. Once you have surrendered your life to Christ, you are rooted and established in love. Being filled starts by being rooted. Now in this passage, it's actually interesting to see how Paul uses not only an agricultural metaphor, but he uses an architectural metaphor as well. Would you be rooted like a tree that sinks its root into the soil? Would you be established like a building on a firm foundation? And you're not just established and rooted in any old thing, but you're established in God's love. A love that has taken us from death and given us new life. A love that has welcomed us in as sons and daughters and given us the right as children of the King. Paul knows that when we make Jesus our leader, a church is established and rooted in love. But Paul goes one step further. Now, this week I wanted to see if the analogy of a root uh, went any further, and so I did a little Google search on what can I find out about roots. Now, those of you who work with plants or are experts in the field of botany can correct me, but I found out that there is this term called hydrotropism. That is a very amazing term that I just said, hydrotropism. Now, hydrotropism, to my best understanding, at its simplest definition, describes how roots respond to word water sources. See, a root doesn't just stay the same length, but it actually has the ability to grow further in the soil towards the water, further in the soil towards what gives it life. Now, in a similar way, Paul says, don't just be rooted, but he goes on and says, may you have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's important to know that Paul doesn't just give them an intellectual task, but an experiential one. Don't just know about God's love, but move towards God's love. Grow, sink your roots deep into this love. Test its depths. Experience the heights. Don't just know, but grow into God's love. Now, some of us who grew up in the church might have grown up with the song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, The Bible Tells Me So. And it was a really great song because it taught me the importance of God's Word, the importance of reading the Bible. But here's the thing. 
I think some of us stopped with just the Bible tells me so when it comes to knowing God's love. Some of us just know God's love, but we haven't let that love sink deep into our hearts. And when we just know this love, we'll find out that when we actually try to join God's restorative love to those around us, we will be exhausted because we haven't actually opened up our lives to experience this love ourselves. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. It's important to go to the story and read the Bible and understand how has God shown his love to his people. Yet the beauty of God's love is it's not just a story. Yes, we are able to know this love, but we're able to experience this love personally in our lives. I know I have experienced God's love. I've experienced God's love as I've felt freedom in times of fear. It's looked like peace in the midst of heartache. It's looked like gifts of mercy that I know I don't deserve. And it's looked like experiencing and knowing with confidence that no matter what I go through, I am never alone. And there have been dark days. And there have been moments where it has felt like God is silent, where it has felt like, Lord, I am praying, but it doesn't feel like it's mattering. But God's love reminds us that no matter where we are, his love will always be there. Paul says, don't just know this love, but experience this love. And when we experience this love, when we're rooted together, we're filled till we're almost overflowing with this love of God. And when you fill something to overflowing, that is bound to pour out. In the same way, when we experience God's love, we're filled to the overflowing with God's restorative love. And that love is going to pour out. Would we be people that say, I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves where my heart becomes free and my shame is undone. And as we go into our daily spaces, would we be people that overflow with that restorative love, overflow with God's presence in our daily spaces? Paul prays, not just be strengthened, but be filled with God's love. So this morning we have to ask, what is one way that I can move towards God's love this week? What is one way that I can move towards God's love this week? And if you're unsure, ask God, God, what is one way that I can move towards your love? It might be something big, and it also might just be a simple practice of gratitude, saying, Lord, I can thank you for the little ways that I've seen your love in my day. Even this breath that I've been given is a sign of your love. So those are Paul's prayers. Be strengthened, be filled. And then Paul ends with this beautiful benediction. He says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Now, I love spending time with kids. I love it because when you spend time with children, it's almost like imagination is the default. They can take their toys and be transported into Jurassic World. Or they can use their Legos to build the frozen castle in these vast kingdoms. Even something like a stick can be used as a wand or a spaceship. Yet as I was thinking, I was thinking, well, as we grow older, it seems like this desire to imagine kind of fades away. Imagination almost becomes inconvenient. And maybe that's because we've imagined and we've been disappointed. Maybe that's because life is so busy and we're so overwhelmed that even choosing to imagine is just exhausting. And when I think of Paul, I picture him kneeling on his jail floor. He had experienced incredible heartbreak. 
He had seen communities that he'd loved, they were working through division. He had seen sins seep into communities that he had fasted so much time in. He was probably exhausted and tired. Yet in this moment, in a moment where it would have been so easy for Paul to say, I'm not going to imagine, he is confident of who God is. And confident that the God who hears is the God who is faithful. And so he not only prays, church, would you be strengthened by God's spirit? Not only prays, church, would you be filled with God's love? But I believe this is his third prayer. He says, church, would you be expectant? Be expectant to him who can do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine according to his work that is within us. I love how the message translates it. It says, God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. And he does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us, his spirit deeply and gently within us. Mill City, God has invited us as a community to walk with expectancy. We've seen this in the past as we've discerned what it looks like to love our neighbor and what it looks like to provide food for children who need food. We've seen this in the present as God's inviting us to walk with expectancy and saying, Lord, what does it look like to offer our backyards to you, to do immeasurably more? What does it look like to say, it's not in my backyard, but in my backyard? And right now, just like Steph said, we are discerning what immeasurably more could look like in the future. We have been honored to be invited into this conversation by Elam to say, would you invite us as a community? Would you adopt us into your community? And Mill City, we've prayed in the beginning of this process. And no matter the outcome, we will pray and we will praise God at the end of this process. Yet in the middle, it's like prayer is the little energy blocks in this time of discernment. As we ask as a community, we posture ourselves and listen to God, God, what is the immeasurably more that you can do in Northeast Minneapolis through both our churches? And the beauty of asking what is the immeasurably more that you can do is because it's immeasurably more, it's more than we could ever do in our own strength. Praying that God would do immeasurably more is saying, God, I am filled with your love. I am strengthened by your spirit. And now I am trusting you to do what only you can do in your power. Paul prays, would you be expectant? And this is not just true about Mill City, but true as we leave our spaces and as we interact with our schools, our families, our neighborhoods, whether we interact online or in person. We serve a God who can do immeasurably more. And prayer places ourselves in a posture to listen to what God is doing and step towards it. A Jesus-centered church is propelled by prayer. So be expectant. The question that we need to ask, this is the last question, is where is God inviting me to walk with expectancy this week? Where is God inviting me to walk with expectancy this week? Paul ends where he began, fixed on God's presence. He says, To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. Not just this generation, not just past generations, but through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul prays, strengthen your people with your spirit. Strengthen them so that they can surrender their lives to you. Paul prays, would they be filled with your love till they are overflowing with that love towards those around them. And Paul prays, would your people walk with expectancy, knowing that you are a God who can do immeasurably more, and would it be for your glory, not so that this generation knows your name, 
but so that all generations would know your deep restorative love. That is the prayer that Paul prays for the church in Ephesus and the prayer that we get to hold on to today as well. A Jesus-centered church is propelled by prayer. So I'm going to invite the band up. And like I said, we are not just going to look at the things that Paul prays, but we're actually going to engage this this morning. Now, growing up in my culture, it was a tradition in our family that when you stepped into a new season or when you had a big decision ahead of you, the adults actually gathered around you and prayed a prayer of blessing over you. And I remember kneeling before my grandma for some of these big decisions, and she would just lay her hand on my shoulder, and she would pray a prayer of blessing over me. And there was nothing special about the posture. There was nothing extraordinary about the words that she was saying. But there was something extraordinary about the God who she was praying to. And so this morning, we are going to step into this practice of blessing together. Now, you might not be heading into a new season, but God has given us a mission to display his love, be representations of his restorative love in our everyday spaces. Wherever you go, you are the church. And because a Jesus-centered church is propelled by prayer, together as a leadership team and staff, we wanted to bless you as you step into your everyday spaces. We wanted to serve you by using Paul's prayer to bless you as you step into your daily spaces and interact with those around you. And so this is how it's going to work. If you haven't received a little card when you walked in, you can raise your hand and someone will come and they will give you a little card. Awesome. And what you're going to do is you're going to take that little card and there's a little blank there where you can fill in your name using a pen. And if you don't have a pen, there are pens up in the front here where you can come forward, take that pen, and fill out that card. And what you're going to do is you're going to come down these center aisles. You're going to hand that card to a leadership team member or staff member. And we are going to pray that prayer of blessing over you. We're going to pray in the name of Jesus, I bless you, and then your name. And we're going to pray, may you be strengthened with the Spirit, be filled with God's love, and would you walk with expectancy joining God in your everyday spaces. So you're going to come down the center aisles, be prayed over, and then we're going to engage in communion, which is another practice that propels us to join God's mission. Through communion, we remember that the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and said, this is my body given for you. And he took the cup and said, this is my blood shed for you. And when we practice communion, we remember that we serve a God who did immeasurably more. We remember that not only did Jesus die, but he rose again. And in his resurrection, there is new life for us. In his resurrection, we can be filled with God's love. In his resurrection, we have been given the spirit that empowers us to join him at work in our everyday spaces. When we take communion, we remember that we serve a God who can do immeasurably more. And so I see that some of you got those cards. You're going to fill out those cards. You're going to walk down these center aisles, be prayed over, and then go take communion, celebrate what God has done. And then together, let's end our time in worship as a community. Would you join me? Come forward when you're ready, and let's pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God who can do immeasurably more. And so, Jesus, as we step forward to receive this blessing, Jesus, would you open up our hearts to experience more of you? 
Would you give us courage to step towards what you are doing? And Jesus, would we be people that walk with expectancy, knowing that we serve a God who can do immeasurably more? And so Jesus, as we receive these blessings, as we take communion, we celebrate who you are. Would you empower us to love your community in your name? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You can come forward when you're ready.